We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome, everyone, to the third edition of Big Blue Banter, a relatively new Giants podcast that aims to dive into the X's and O's. That's what I love. That's what my co-host, Nick Turchin, loves to do. And we're going to take an analytical look from a game tape standpoint, Nick's specialty, and at every single player on the Giants roster. We're not just talking the starters. We're not just talking Odo Beckham Jr. and Saquon Barkley. Our goal is is to break down everyone. And today I'm excited because this is our training camp preview. We're going to feature three of my favorite position battles heading into training camp. Three battles I think will shape this Giants 2018 season. We're going to dive into another Pat Shermer offensive concept. We're going to talk Janoris Jenkins and what went down yesterday. Everything I know now because it's the elephant in the room. And of course, we're going to touch a little bit on the Odell Beckham Jr. potential for a holdout. This is Big Blue Banter. Let's get this rolling. I'm going to throw it now to Nick. How's it going, Nick? Pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, alive and good as always. <laughs> That's always good to be alive at this time of the year, especially. <laughs> yeah, very slow in June. Twitter is dead, if you haven't noticed. It's like unbelievably quiet out there. <laughs> it is unbelievably quiet uh, out there right now. This is the time of the year where fans are even taking a break from the NFL, the only time of the year. But we're still here because we know training camp is on the way, and we want to give you a preview of that. So we're going to jump right in but. But start, but first, of course, we have to start with the news, the elephant in the room, the Janoris Jenkins situation. So yesterday uh, at about 5 p.m., it was revealed that police in the Farallon area of New Jersey discovered a dead body in the home of Janoris Jenkins. However, Janoris Jenkins was not in the state at the time. He has not been in the state since the end of June minicamp on the 15th. He uh, has two houses. His other home is in Florida, where he's originally from. He was there. Um, hasn't been home in a while, so 
As of now, he's not a suspect at all. He's not a person of interest. However, the body found was a friend of Janoris Jenkins and of his family. Um, Janoris Jenkins' family had been living in his Fairlawn house uh, when he was away. Not positive he was if they were also living there uh, when he was, uh, you know, when he's in town, when he's playing for the Giants, when he's in New Jersey. But the most recent update we do have on this is that. The police have now identified Janoris's brother, William, a 34-year-old man, as a person of interest in this case. Not a suspect, not a suspect, but a person of interest. Janoris has reportedly, at least according to Josina Anderson of ESPN, feels okay with the situation. Uh, he is not, like I said, a person of interest at all, not a suspect. The Giants and his lawyers have advised him just stay in Florida. He obviously was not around for whatever went down. And those are the details we have now on the situation. It's a terrible tragedy. I do not want to, you know, speculate on anything here. I do not really want to make any opinions about the situation because remember, in the end, this is a case of a man who passed away, uh, a young man who passed away um, in the home of Janoris Jenkins. But for now, uh, I would not worry about this too much if I was Giants fans. I would wait for the details to come out. We did see a video of Janoris's neighbor uh, in Fairlawn, and she, she, uh, I'm blanking on her name right now, but she basically said Janoris has been a perfect neighbor since moving in, really polite really helpful uh, in the community, in the neighborhood. So as of now, I don't think there's anything to worry about. Nick, did you want to add anything on that, or can we jump uh, right into the good stuff? I think we can jump into the good stuff. I mean, this just touches a little bit on, on the depth of the secondary, but again, we'll get into that later. And, and there is no issues on the depth now as, as in regards to Janoris. It's just more about longer term, like, you know, we have two very good quarterbacks now, but behind that is a question mark. Right. And I did an article today, actually, that uh, I made the point that the, the, the headline of the article is cornerback is a position that could be the Giants fatal flaw in 2018. And I'm not going to dive into too much of that at this time. You can check it out on Giants and 247sports.com. It really dives into what I really started to think about once this Janoris Jenkins uh, you know, incident came out. And I wondered, hey, what can the Giants compete if Jenkins is, in fact, suspended? And the answer is no, um, even if Jenkins is going to play. And we'll again, we'll dive into this another time. But even if Jenkins is going to play, there's two key issues to worry about with this Giants cornerback position. And those issues are, in fact, one, the depth of the cornerback position, because behind Janoris Jenkins and Eli Apple, the Giants are lacking depth. There's no doubt about it. And then the other thing to worry about is the nickel cornerback position, which we'll touch on another time, currently occupied by William Gay. But for now, we're going to dive into another position in the secondary, and that's the deep safety role, something a lot of people are worried about, and for good reason. And I want to throw it to Nick and ask if Darian Thompson can potentially emerge as a post-hype sleeper. Thompson entering year three, former third-round pick, was a ball hawk at Boise State. Injuries have limited him until this point in his career. What are your thoughts? Can he be a post-hype sleeper? Yeah, you know, I did a fair amount of, of work on Darian Thompson and actually have a piece that's going to hit in uh, pretty soon, I guess is the way to say it, um, over, at, uh, over at something I'll talk about later at the end of the podcast for where I was recently brought on. Uh, but anyway, uh, real quick on the breakdown on Darian, uh, you know, very good uh, getting downhill against short passes and intermediate routes, uh, can take really good angles, um, has, is not a real thumper, but generally a good fundamental, fundamental tackler. Uh, if he doesn't get the hip or the thigh, he's going to get the legs. Um, you know, against the run, he plays with great closure to the ball to the ball carrier. Uh, you know, in that five to ten yard space, he doesn't hesitate most of the time and has good football intelligence. He actually had a twenty nine on the Wonderlick too. Did you know that he's a pretty smart guy? So in terms of recognition, um, he's seeing some good things there. Um, as a blitzer, I like him as a blitzer. 
uh, uh, you know, and from around the line of scrimmage, he closes in pretty, pretty nicely on the quarterback and has the ability to shed blockers or uh, yeah, blockers on the way to the quarterback. So really featured a lot of that through two games in 2016 um, before his injury. It was ended up being a list Frank injury after um, after two to three weeks, I believe, on the bench uh, as he was kind of nursing his foot. Um, so anyway, the reason why I'm jumping into this is that's most of what he can do. If you notice, that's not a ton of not many deep safety traits. Uh, he certainly um, was a ball hawk in college with 19 interceptions. Uh, so his issues, though, what, what he kind of struggles with um, is he doesn't have a great initial burst. Uh, many guys want to look at his 40 time and criticize that. I would more look at his play speed. His play speed is not tremendous. It's kind of average. And that's fine if you have a good processing, good mental processing to stay ahead of things. It's when he doesn't and when guys get behind him or press him vertically that he kind of can get into a difficult position. And I think Giants fans are going to know that through, through watching the film through, through through 2017, that there are, you know, a fair amount of examples here. He looks a little lost in coverage at times. Uh, you know, I have a few notes here about, you know, he opens to the wrong side, just really kind of almost like rookie mistakes and rookie fundamentals that he's still working through. And I think that's a big part of, uh, I think that's a big part of where he is in the process now is, is, is still a work in process to, to, to get there. I do think though, in terms of a fit, um, I think that he will, uh, I think that he's at end up, I think he's going to play a lot because he's uh, for, for him around the line of scrimmage and for him in kind of out of a too deep look where he's basically a middle range safety or a robber safety, whether it be cover three um, at, in, a, in a buzz role as a buzzing safety or cover one robber role um, where he's kind of moved up. I think that's a real good spot for him because of his of his high of his high kind of football intelligence. Uh, but something in terms of patrolling the the deep safety right now, it's it's still a work in progress. Yeah, Nick, and you mentioned a lot of good things I want to dive into there. And we start with what you said about you know he was still making a lot of rookie mistakes last season. What fans have to remember is that he was essentially a rookie last year. You mentioned that he suffered the list Frank injury. He only played two games with the Giants. Uh, uh, played two and a half games with the Giants, I believe, or one and a half. I'm sorry, played half of that Dallas Cowboys game in week one of his rookie season, then the entire Saints game. And then he tried to nurse it through all the way through the Giants bye week, and then they kind of gave up on him. A list Frank is a super tricky injury. It can return at any time. Um, you know, you have to have kind of a mental confidence to get over it in future games and future seasons. And it's possible that Thompson is still kind of learning the tricks of the trade at the safety position in the NFL. So that's something I want to look forward to as a potential for, you know, maybe the light will turn on. But again, we're talking about a guy who missed all of minicamp this past month with another injury. Um, now, Thompson is expected to return for training camp. There isn't really much information on his injury right now. But again, he missed more time. And these are valuable reps that somebody like him, who you mentioned, is making a lot of rookie mistakes, needs to needs to have. And then you uh, talk about kind of how he might be best in a robber role. It makes a lot of sense. You know, he made a lot of plays around the line of scrimmage during during the games he has played. But the, and, and, and the issue for the Giants is this. Listen, do they need another robber-type safety with Landon Collins in the mix and with a player like Curtis Riley really, really stepping up uh, in minicamp? And we'll touch on Riley in a little bit. Um, but do they need another robber-type safety? I'm not so sure. I mean, we know this is a team that wants to use a lot more single-high safety this year, that wants to use Landon Collins as more of a roaming chess piece, and they need a complement for him. Now, I will say this when it comes to Thompson. 
I actually am a little more optimistic uh, than you are as far as it goes uh, for Thompson in a deep safety role. I think back to that Saints game from week two of the 2016 season. Um, that was a game where Drew Brees and the Saints, and this is before they had Alvin Kamara. This is when they were more of a vertically attacking team. Failed to complete a single pass of 25-plus yards in September. Nice weather in MetLife. Can't blame it on that. Um, the Giants' defense limited to Breeze. Breeze is just six yards per passing attempt, which is an accomplishment for any defense. But Thompson played a big role in that as the deep safety in that game, in a game where the Giants really didn't generate that much pressure uh, from their pass rush. So that's something that always stuck out to me. And then also in week one of his rookie season, I'll never forget the time when he really came down. And like you said, this is when he was playing more of an interchangeable role, came down from one of the safety spots, came across the line of scrimmage and stopped Ezekiel Elliott on a draw play for a negative. It was for a zero-yard gain, and this was a play where it really stood out to me. I I haven't seen too many safeties have that kind of, you know, break on the ball that Thompson had. Um, And again, like we said, Landon Collins is the type of player who can drop in deep coverage. You would agree with that, correct, Nick? Yeah, no, that um, it was something that, as I was watching the Giants last year, we do have to remember, obviously, they're mostly too deep. But uh, in the rotations, when they would roll to either cover three or some other type of, uh, of rotation, uh, oftentimes Collins was taking the, uh, the, the the deep safety role. So he definitely has that. I do think that he, you know, he's, it, it's not really his go-to place, but it's definitely something where he was, he was a, he, he functioned there well. Um, and the one thing I would say about Betcher, I'm still trying to dig up this, the statistics here, but he plays too deep a little bit more than people realize. And it's not a traditional too deep where, if, uh, you know, where both safeties have the same depth. Right. Uh, oftentimes he actually liked to move, I think it was Tyron, I forget the, the safety's name in Arizona. He played kind of a short safety um, on the weak side. And so it's interesting. I think that Betcher can Betcher likes to rotate a lot of defensive backs. That's definitely the case. Um, and I think that they're, tr- they're going to try to find as many of those as they can. And that's why I think that, you know, Thompson will definitely be in the mix at least, if not the starter, just because he, he, he has enough leadership as well as enough good traits getting downhill that it's that it's totally worth it for uh, for him to, to, to still be around right and you make a great point there nick because we don't have to look at this as a black and white there will be right. two starters landon collins and x what we can look at this like is everything we've known from james Hutchinson. you made a great point because we talk a lot of single high safety on this podcast and i talk about it a lot on twitter but it's not exclusive single high safety no no defensive coordinator uses that uh exclusively obviously that would be way too easy to game plan against and exploit but what he could do, James Batcher, and what he's done in the past with Arizona is a heavy rotation all across his defense. And that's exactly what we saw during spring OTA practices in minicamp. He mixed in four different players at the safety position with Landon Collins and Darian Thompson sideline. We're talking about Andrew Adams, who's you know arguably the Giants' best covered safety, although I think he has issues tackling at the final level, something I also have issues with Darian Thompson will get. But that's another story. Um, mixing in Michael Thomas, the free agent addition from the Miami Dolphins who followed defensive backs coach Lou Anamur, Anamur, I'm pronouncing this guy's name wrong Lou Anaramo I think it is but I'll have to double check that at another time but he who's now the Giants defensive backs coach Thomas followed him and you know he may have an upper upper leg in that competition just because he made the coach may see something that he liked that you know the Dolphins didn't fully utilize because again Thomas was mostly a special teams ace with the Dolphins. So he's been mixing in with the first team unit. They could use him to his strengths. They've also used Curtis Riley, a guy they signed from the Titans. And again, the Giants signed a cornerbacks coach from the Titans and now Riley followed with him. But Riley actually made the transition last season from cornerback to safety. And 
during minicamp, he was starting to step into, you know, a first-team role at safety. Here's what James Betcher, the defensive coordinator, said about him. And this touches – I'm going to tell this quote only because this touches on what you just mentioned, Nick, how the Giants may actually use a rotation at safety that tries to fit the safeties into the, into the, uh, into the roles that fit their strengths. So Curtis is a guy – this is what Betcher said. Curtis is a guy – we all know he's played corner, so he's got really good, great feet and hips and range. And the thing I'm probably most proud of him about is how he's picked it up playing safe because that's a change. You go from playing outside and you go to inside. So he's already talking about going to inside. So more of a nickelback slot role. And some of the checks and the communications in one minute you're put, you're in the post, the next minute you're down or playing in the half field or you're blitzing off the edge. And some of the duties that our safeties have to handle here, like those specifically, he's done a really nice job with that. So I'm excited for him getting to training camp and he's competing to work with that first team unit and grow over these last two months. So again, the thing I take away from that mostly is that he's been using Riley in a specific role. And that's something we talked about all off season, Nick, uh, with this new change in the coaching staff from guys like Steve Spagnolo and Ben McAdoo to Pat Shermer and James Betcher guys, coaches who, instead of trying to fit a square peg into a round hole, these are coaches who look at the talent that they have on the roster and then try to fit their scheme around it. So I think that's what we're going to see at that safety position. That should be really interesting. And I think both me and Nick, if we had to make a prediction now, would agree that it will be a rotation at the safety position next to Collins. Is that where you stand, Nick? Yeah, I think that I think that Thomas may emerge as the real as a real kind of slot hybrid. Um, and I think they'll get. I think they're going to run a fair amount of big nickel actually. Um, so with three safeties in nickel instead of a true nickel back. Um, and uh, I think that's going to kind of be going to be a good shakeup for them with the talent that they have. Uh, like you said, with the talent that they're that they're dealing with right now. Yeah, of course. And they're not. We always knew this is a team that had three wins last season. They were never going to be able to fix every single hole in one offseason. But they don't have to. I mean, we have teams that you know go on runs in the NFL that have glaring weaknesses. The Jaguars had glaring weaknesses last season, but still made a run because they were really, really good at what they did at the few things they did. So we're going to actually uh, shift over now to another training camp battle. I'm super excited about, and that's for this number three wide receiver role. Um, and right now the front runners are Cody Latimer, the free agent acquisition from the Denver Broncos, a guy who was a former second round pick and Hunter Sharp, another former Broncos player. The Giants actually had last season and actually started in week 17 for the Giants uh, in their win over the Washington Redskins. I'm going to throw it to you, Nick, first. What have you seen from these players? And I'll talk a little about, bit about what I saw from them in spring OTAs and minicamp. Sure. Uh, starting off with uh, Cody Latimer, a uh, bigger guy. 6'2", 215 pounds out of Indiana back in 2014. He was in drafted in the second round. Um, so like you said, came out of college with good size and strength, did 23 reps of bench at the Combine. He's a guy with very good athletic ability, very good at making – in fact, I think he really enjoys making acrobatic catches <laughs> with, uh, with high-pointing high pointing balls, even if they don't need to be high-pointed. Um, he's – he loves to compete, uh, loves to compete for contested balls. He played a f- very, a, a fair amount. I think it was a lot of special teams at Denver where he was basically behind the depth chart between their very strong wide receivers uh, years 2015 through 17. Uh, and, you know, won a, won a Super Bowl in 15. So is a guy who, who understands what it takes to win in terms of, uh, in terms of, a, of a team. Um, he's a very solid blocker. Um, I would be a little careful with him around the line of scrimmage. He, I think he needs a little help in terms of technique. I think you guys in the Giants need a little help in terms of their technique to be consistent. But, you know, as a guy who's 6'2", 215, he certainly does not shy away from, from contact. 
Uh, he he played a fair amount of the slot, um, out of the slot in Denver, which I thought was kind of interesting for someone his size. You know, traditionally now with college players or with college teams using the speed guy, the speed demon in the slot to create mismatches. Here, he's almost like a throwback to that old slot receiver who's bigger and can help uh, can help provide mismatches on smaller nickelbacks. Um, and, you know, guys like Waldman, Matt Waldman, uh, compared him to a slower Keenan Allen. I don't know if I really agree with that. I kind of more like, like Kenny Britt, uh, but not as flashy. And the big question I think people would have at, at, up to this point is like, you know, you know Nick, you've you complimented pretty good. What was the deal if he played with Peyton Manning? How come he kind of, you know, was not – he didn't have a big role in that team? And I think really doing – looking at the film and or the lack of film for, for when Peyton Manning was there, uh, he had some issues with basically Manning's game plan and Manning's execution. When you say issues, um, Manning – I don't know if people understand or get that kind of Manning didn't run a ton of plays. It wasn't like he had a massively expansive uh, playbook. Uh, Peyton Manning was was his his whole the, the difficult part with playing wide receiver him are the level of checks and audibles that had that go on at the line of scrimmage and number one following them alone I think is pretty difficult number two executing them within different sight reads depending on what the defense does in the middle of your route is what is 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 a is a is massively crucial in uh, in Peyton's um, in Peyton's offense and quite frankly that's kind of where he lacked. And so does this, does this say that he, you know, met his mental processing, his issues, you know, where is the issue live is if it's, uh, you know, or where does this come from? I'm not really sure. The bottom line is too, I think that, you know, we all remember tape of Peyton being pretty demanding in terms of kind of you know, staring guys down after, uh, after missing or making a poor read. So I think for a rookie, he, he kind of, or a younger player developing, he kind of, you know, got a little frustrated. He did have an incident. I forget if it was something involving some run in with the police too, as well. Um, so this is a little, he's a little bit of a project almost, but he's someone who last year really showed in the back half of the season, he really flashed to me as a guy who, who wanted it as a guy who was willing to kind of do anything to catch, to catch balls and understanding that, you know, he was kind of at a partner's point in his career where he really needed to do that to, to further it. Uh, you know, to be frank, I think at least reading the, kind of Denver beat writers, if he didn't play special teams, I'm not sure if he still would have really been on that team last year. Uh, so for, for me, it's something I'm, I'm really interested to see how he develops under the, with the giants. I think that as a third wide receiver, it's something that, that Shermer didn't really have last year as well. He had two really good wide receivers at one and two, but there was a fair, it was a good amount of drop off to Jarius, right? So I think, honestly, I think he could be better than right. And I think it's going to be interesting um, how they, how they feature him. I think he could play lone X wide receiver uh, on the, on the weak side of the offense. Yeah, and before we jump into Hunter Sharp, because we'll also definitely dive into him, I wanted to touch a little bit on Lattimore. But and I'll, and I'll, Lattimore, and I'll be the first to say it right now, and you guys can hold me to this. I think it's going to be his job, and he's going to run away with this, in my opinion. Um, and, and we'll talk about that a little bit more, why uh, I, ha- I have him over Hunter Sharp and Roger Lewis and guys like that. But, you know, what I've seen from Lattimore is this. Here's a guy who admittedly said, I was not a pro when I entered the NFL. And it makes sense, because – he really rose fast at Indiana. That's where he played big, uh, big at the, in the Big Ten at Indiana. That's where he plays college football. Here's a guy, like I said, who admitted, I wasn't ready to be a pro. He said that after signing with the Giants. You know, I didn't apply everything I need to uh, from a work ethic standpoint, from a preparation standpoint, from film work standpoint as a wide receiver to my game until last season. And then last season with the Broncos, you know, the first season where he had any decent amount of snaps, he played 380 snaps, a career high on offense 
in 2017. Before that, you know, he had a season of 37 snaps as a rookie, not no more than 250 any other season. And during this 2017 season, with an extended run, he set career highs in his catch rate, 70.4% of balls thrown his way, of catchable balls thrown his way, and yards per reception, 15.1 yards per reception. These are numbers according to Pro Football Focus. So we're talking about a guy who put it all together last season. He still wasn't very featured in an offense that, you know, didn't move the ball through the air with Case, uh, not Case Keenum, with Trevor Simeon and the mess of a Broncos offensive line and behind, obviously, still Emmanuel Sanders and Demarius Thomas. But, you know, here's a guy who was expected to come in as a rookie with Bader Manning, like you say, and play in, a, in, a, in, a, in an offense that has wide receiver option routes, similar to what Kevin Gilbride, I assume, ran back in the day with the Giants, where, you know, it can work if you're on the same page with the quarterback, but it's hard to get on the same page with the quarterback if your work ethic is impeccable from day one because you're working with Peyton Manning. So I think that Lattimore is a guy who will win this job on the outside because what he's going to be able to do in that role you just talked about, that lone X role, um, is block on the outside. He hasn't been an elite blocker, but he has earned above average blocking grades throughout his career, according to Pro Football Focus. He has the size to do it on the outside. And then finally in minicamp, in that three-day minicamp, he actually had three touchdown receptions from Eli Manning, and they were all kind of red zone drills where he kind of showed off that 39-inch vertical leap. Here's a guy who's going to see single coverage the entire year. I don't expect him to be a focal point of this passing game. I don't expect him to be a big have a big role in the passing game, but I expect him to make plays when football comes his way. And do you have any reason, Nick, to believe that I could be wrong about this and that Hunter Sharp, for example, or maybe even Roger Lewis or somebody from the free agent market can surpass him? Uh, you know, I think that's – it's tough. Uh, you know, Hunter Sharp, you're talking about a guy who's 5'11", 198, um, you know, was on the same Denver team. Um, he was drafted – he was an undrafted, excuse me, in 2016. So, you know, not for the same amount of time. He's more of a deep threat type. You know, a guy ran a four five one on the forty. Quick, quick. He's very quick off the line. Good initial burst. Outside of that, it's not mean to criticize him because I think his speed is definitely very strong, and he's a punt returner. Which again, there is there is a bit of a theme with this Giants team with their free agents that they're bringing in. These guys can all play special teams, and I right. absolutely love that. Um, and uh, but getting back to Hunter Sharp for a second, you know, the same type of guy. He's a good blocker, not a great blocker, uh, but his size to me is. Is, is an issue, not just the 5'11", 198, but the way he plays within that. His frame is fine, but it's just he's not an overly physical guy, and and both physical corners can kind of take him, and I think blockers coming downhill can – sorry, defenders coming downhill uh, can 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 uh, can take him. And the other side of this is what – you know, where, where he struggled a bit, um, it's almost a little bit like Russell – like Shepard, uh, like Russell right. Uh, in terms of being a smaller guy that in traffic, he, his hands are not unbelievable. And a guy like that needs to needs to, needs to to catch the ball. And so what you saw with the, with the Denver film from last year, where he did play a fair amount um, last year, uh, just, you know, some drops that, you know, you want you want to see completed, you know, tough catches that you want him to be your guy. And so for, for me, Hunter Sharp, I'm looking at maybe a wide receiver five, wide receiver four, kind of best case. Um, with Shepard ahead of him at, at this point. And again, oh, yeah. and, and again, Camp can, and I, 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 best way to say, it, I guess both Shepard's ahead of him, um, right? Yeah. And, and, and Camp, uh, with Camp, obviously a lot of things have changed, but I think that's going to be a tough spot for him to, for him to crack. No doubt. And we're talking about a guy, hey, he's making a lot of plays in spring practices, but again, there's no pads on, there's no live contact. And 
again, he reminds me a lot of Tavares King and the kind of the role he's had with the Giants over the past few seasons before obviously signing with the Vikings this offseason. Kind of that deep third who could take the top off the defense, but that's not as important uh, if they're going to be using, you know, different vertical concepts with Odell Beckham Jr. on the outside and potentially Sterling Shepard on the outside this season. And, you know, you look at, like you said, you mentioned it best, <laughs> Sterling Shepard, five foot ten and a half. Odell Beckham, five foot eleven. You want to put a guy like Latimer with those guys. You don't want to put a guy like Russell Shepard on the field too often, or a guy like Hunter Sharp, guys who you know can't beat the press as well, can't you know physically block the boundary as well. Right. So I think that definitely, I think Latimer definitely has the edge there. And you mentioned an excellent theme: how a lot of these free agent signings have had special teams experience, but also special teams, you know, success. We're talking about Latimer, who last year Vance uh, Vance Joseph the the head coach of Denver Broncos said, he's my pick for the all-pro gunner of the year. Uh, he, that's how impressed he was. And then, obviously, Michael Thomas is a guy who, you know, we talked about competing for the safety spot, but he's also won the Special Teams Player of the Year award from, from Pro Football Focus in three of the last four seasons. And another interesting theme that I've actually noticed uh, with these signings ho- – uh, actually, hold on, sorry. I just had lost my train of thought real quick because I was thinking about Michael Thomas. We'll get We'll get back to that because – he has an effect on some people, man. You lose, you lose your thought. It's hard. Man. Yeah, exactly. Um, like that. <laughs> yeah, totally. Oh, what I was going to say is another interesting theme with a lot of these free agent signings is that they had they came from teams where the coach is now on the coach is now on the Giants. So, for example, Cody Latimer and Hunter Sharp they played on the Denver Broncos. Now the Denver the Denver Broncos coach then was Ty Tolbert. Now he's the wide receivers coach of the New York Giants. We're talking about, you know, Curtis Riley, a guy we mentioned before who's really impressed during minicamp, potentially could, you know, could have a role on defense in the big nickel at safety. He played with the Giants, uh, you know, cornerbacks coach. And then obviously Lou Anarumo, the guy who we mentioned before, a guy whose name I still can't pronounce and may never be able to, uh, you know, saw Michael Thomas up close, mostly in a special teams role with the Dolphins and said, look, this is a guy who can help your team as a safety. So I really like that kind of the inside information there. Even Thomas McGay, their special teams coach, uh, special teams coordinator, brought in Teddy Williams, the cornerback who's been a special teams ace in the past for the Carolina Panthers, and will probably fit, fill a similar role again on the back end of that Giants roster this season. So that's another theme that really intrigued me about this offseason. But for now, we're going to dive into another position battle that's obviously – you know, the mo- one of the most publicized for the diehard Giants fans, at least through minicamp. And that's the center position because, you know, it was expected to be a runaway for Brett Jones, a guy who came in for Western Bridgeburg last season, was one of the best pass blockers in the league, at least according to pro football focus. Um, but now he's actually seeing less reps with the starting lineup than John Halapio, the former 2016 undrafted free, or I'm sorry, sixth round pick of the New England Patriots. Um, so what have you seen from both of those? And again, remember, guys, there's not a lot of game tape on 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 Jalapio. There's definitely some game tape on Jones. But what is your what are your thoughts on the center position battle in training camp? Gotcha. Yeah, I focused a little bit more on Jalapio just because uh, it just seemed kind of interesting that he was getting the time. Um, and then there was that great article this past week, which we'll throw in the show notes, too, about how Jalapio and Jones are actually really good friends and pushing each other in this uh, in this competition, which to me, just kind of talks about the new Giants versus the old Giants of last year uh, in terms of the team. Uh, anyway, uh, Jalapio went to Florida. He's 6'3", 315, so really pretty good size, very good length. I'm not, I didn't dig up his arm length, but, but he, in, on, on film, you know, his size is imposing, which is kind of interesting for a guy uh, competing for the center position. Um, that size, to me, gives him versatility across the rest of the line. Uh, he was drafted in the sixth round by the New England Patriots. 
Uh, for me, what I saw is positive. Uh, he in gap schemes, he pulls pretty well. Has good athleticism um, against uh, really anyone that the front seven can can put uh, put on him, and in, in any position for that matter. In my opinion, I think I think this guy could even play backup tackle basically. Uh, so much has been made of outside zone wrinkles this past year. One play where the center and the guard actually lead in the alley, I could see him in, him running in either um, either either of those positions. Uh, so just real good athleticism. Um, and he's got okay use of hands at the point of attack. Um, he showed a lot of athleticism towards blitzing, uh, blitzing guys blitzing in the run game, uh, making real good um, lateral movement side to side and kind of deflecting. And this is I'm all talking about that basically the, the Washington Redskins game from Week 17. Uh, the Redskins front uh, threw some wrinkles at the Giants, and he handled it pretty well. Where he struggles, he struggles a little bit with reach blocks and zone. Um, his timing and use of hands in in zone blocking, it's a little off. It's a little uncoordinated. Uh, has some issues maintaining balance through contact. I think that's a little bit to do with his frame and more to do to with more to do with the bigger thing, which to me, which is the biggest issue was his stance. Um, he didn't really seem to have a ton of bend or a great bend in the lower body. And what I where I saw is, you know, for him to get optimal pad level as a bigger guy against, you know, defenders coming from down low to you know be that you know, for a low man to win, he had to, he ended up lowering his head a lot. It, not by a massive amount, but just enough where it's it led to weaker engagements where you could see his shoulders rolling forward and and he, he missed some targets in that way because when you do that you kind of lose your vision a little bit it seems and uh, you know I think that's something that O line coach Hal Hunter is going to have to work on um, coming from as a center I think that that will be a little more negated uh, after snapping the ball I think that again his fundamentals left you home too because you're basically you lost the hand at the get off uh, you know since you are snapping. Uh, and, uh, but I do think, you know, projected for him, I think he can win this battle and I think it's going to be really close. And I think never, you know, nonetheless, whether he wins it or not, I think he's the sixth lineman really, no matter what. Um, I think Greco plays is, is very, very good. And, you know, as a, as a much different type of player, an older veteran who, you know, both of these guys, Greco and Jalapio play, um, you know, they, they pull really well. Obviously the Giants want to run man schemes. These guys fit that. So I like the scheme fit for both and especially Jalapio, but, um, you know, I do think that he'll be that, that, that six man on the line for sure, at least. Yeah, no doubt. And you talk about what he's able to do from an athletic standpoint. And I really, what really stood out to me with Jalapio is his story. I mean, this is a guy who obviously was out of the NFL for a little while when the Patriots caught him. And he was working at a car dealership at the time, but was doing three hour training sessions before nine to five. And then another training session at night after this guy who never gave up on his dream and is finally starting to pay off. Um, we've seen the success that Dave Gettleman, giant general manager has had in the past finding offensive linemen. And he could see something that he likes from, you know, like you talk about an athletic standpoint, the upside standpoint, you know, in the NFL, a lot of these guys end up sticking on rosters and having careers based on the ability to do one thing very well better than others because the rest they can kind of come around to or if you can do that one thing very well better than others, it's enough to help you, you know, you have success at the NFL level. So I'm definitely interested to see that because it's really a battle that's going to come down to what, what kind of direction the Giants want this offensive line to go. We know the type of player Brett Jones is. We know the type of player John Hoppio is. They're very different to, uh, options at center. Um, and I actually think you're right. He's going to make the roster regardless. Both players will make the roster regardless. But I do think that personally, I think that there's only one roster spot even open uh, for this offensive line. And we can touch a little bit more on this as we move forward through the offseason. But as of now, I think that both Lapio, Jones, and Greco are really locked for this roster. I think what it's going to come down to is that eighth and final offensive line spot. It's either going to be Chad Wheeler or the former 
agent out of USC, obviously, uh, from last offseason, or a guy they sign in camp, you know, a, a veteran to play that, to fill that swing tackle role. But um, we're going to actually transition now to the last part of today's show, or not the, the second to the last part, I should say. We have one little thing at the end. We're going to transition to breaking down one more concept in Pat Shermer's offense. Today, we're going to look into the mesh concept of Shermer's offense. So, Nick, I want to hear your breakdown on this. Uh, how often is this concept used, and what can we expect going forward in the 2018 season with it? Yeah, sure. So the mesh concepts, uh, no play is more representative of the air raid, actually, than the mesh concept. Most people don't realize that the air raid and West Coast offense both have the same roots in uh, the old BYU offense under Lavelle Edwards. I think it was in the late 40s slash early 50s. Uh, so anyway, uh, coming out of that, both air raid and West Coast look to get guys in space. It's kind of the goal of the crossing routes and the shorter shallow routes. And so starting off with mesh, if we can kind of break this down, um, we're going to envision this out of 11 personnel. So 11 personnel means one running back, one tight end, and then thus three wide receivers. Uh, the name of the play uh, refers to the two wide receivers on opposite sides of the field. It's usually Y and X. So X being the, the, uh, the, the split end as well as Y, whether it's a tight end or a slot receiver, or it could be two slot receivers for that matter. And both of those receivers run shallow crosses in opposite directions. So they basically, if you think about envision that, they would almost be kind of colliding, and that's kind of the goal. The rule is that the Y player or the player on the strong side sets the depth of the mesh, and meaning he works to whatever amount of yards he wants deep down the field, usually it's somewhere between five and eight, while the other wide receiver's job is to come directly underneath him in the cross so that it's so close. The goal is that they're so close that they can actually slap hands. It's essentially a rub route. Now, why do they want to slap hands? Because the rub route basically makes it so if the defense is playing man, there's virtually no way or it's almost impossible for the man coverage to stay with both crossing wide receivers uh, in that. It's a natural pick, in other words. Natural pick, correct. And so um, now for the rest of the routes that are involved here, it kind of depends on who's running it because there's many different versions of mesh in the NFL right now. Um, we'll start with... Basically, what at the, so so the mesh is these two crossing routes coming over the middle of the field. That's actually not the primary read in the route. The Z wide receiver is the primary read or an alert read uh, in in both cases, depending on what he's doing. He's usually the running a deep post or a deep corner or a deep out route. So for the Giants, if you can imagine the Z wide receiver, we're talking about OBJ, and basically it's kind of Manning's job to see what the coverage is and see if he likes that deep safety throw, which he honestly this year he may. Um, and we're, so we're talking about a you know, 15, 20-yard post route down the field. Uh, the second read usually is what the running back does. And this is where it gets really interesting and kind of a big reason why I picked this, um, this play to break down. The running back traditionally runs, in my opinion, traditionally runs a wheel route or a rail route. And so you're talking about, and most of the time this run out of shotgun doesn't have to be, but the running back coming from the backfield, getting uh, pressing horizontally, making that coverage, whether it's zone or man, usually a linebacker or safety, come out wide and then going north. And with new running back Saquon Barkley running that route, that's that it's going to be pretty devastating. And we know that we've seen that in practice. It's been talked about on Twitter, and guys like Dan have been all over it, where you know Barkley's flashing in this in this route, and that's usually the second read. And again, it could be the primary in some offenses. Um, and so those two parts, those two dynamics actually are pretty deadly within the concept itself. And, you know, many people would ask, okay, so what's kind of the point of the mesh? The mesh is almost like a, a visual distractor to zone players 
by these two players crossing the eye lines of, of the zone. And then in man, it's to provide the third read in the, uh, the third read for the quarterback or sometimes the second read, which is one of those crossers to the strong side of the field um, is going to be open. <laughs> I'm not saying no matter what, it's very hard to defend that, that, that wide receiver at that point, especially if the quarterback rolls that way just a touch. Uh, so you see three good options. It is a full five-player read. The, um, like I said, the, the last route in this, or the last part of this would be, you know, oftentimes something over the middle after the two crossers go through the zone. So the Eagles, for example, uh, in the Super Bowl, where they ran this a lot, I think it was over nine times, actually. Their, um, their, other, their, their other guy ran basically a sit route, which is a diagonal route going to the middle of the field where he turns and sits in the wake of space created by the two crossers uh, coming in, coming past each other. Um, I think it's pretty devastating to uh, to really any coverage. Many guys um, make the point that against cover two, it's a little difficult because cover two is two on two over and either four or five underneath defenders, and those guys are kind of right where the mesh is, and they're not going to be just not going to be uh, following um, the. Uh, or trailing the, uh, the the crossers. So cover two, it's a little bit of a headache against cover two, but I still think that sit route in cover two is very, very uh, deadly. And against everything else, I think it's tough. Against man, I think it's tough. I think if this is a route where I think if the defense knew it was coming, <laughs> kind of like how teams did with the Eagles because they ran it so much in the playoffs, it's still difficult to stop even within that. And, uh, yeah, I think for, for, the, for the Giants this year, you know, it's something that Pat Shermer featured last year, and it's something that – takes the best elements of, of, of where the Giants are right now. It's Ingram as a crosser because he'd be one of those crossing routes. It's Barkley as on the wheel route, and it's OBJ with the deep post. And you throw all that together, and I think it's, I think it's, I think it's hard to defend. Right, and you think about all the different variations of this route. Like, So you can use Ingram as the crosser, Shepard as a crosser. You can use Ellison or Adams or whoever is in, you know, or, or if they're going three receivers, Latimer to sit in that uh, – that almost that stop route you talked about when once it clears out, or you could really use Ingram to sit in that zone if you know if teams are playing the cover two, like you said. But even when teams are dropping in cover two, it's still going to be difficult to defend Saquon Barkley on the wheel route because we've seen it all throughout practice. Barkley's destroyed Olivier Vernon and Kareem Martin, the Giants' two outside linebackers, and against all these teams that play three four, it's going to be really difficult to contain Barkley on this wheel route. And then you also just talk about, you know, teams used the cover two against the Giants an incredible amount last season, basically all game because they didn't, they, you know, they dared the Giants to run. Is that going to be so easy this season with Will Hernandez, Nate Solder, maybe John Halapio in the middle, um, you know, Patrick Omeme, an extra blocker in Ellison, and then Saquon Barkley in the run game. I don't think it's going to be as easy to just sit and drop and cover two like teams have in the past. So I'm not as worried, you know, about the cover two, you know, you know, kind of stymieing this route to say, or this route concept to say, but I'm very excited hearing about that because I saw it work all, you know, not only with the Eagles, but with Pat Shermer and the Vikings. This is something I constantly, even myself notice, and I don't have the same kind of, you know, game film advanced view of the game as you do, Nick. I'll admit that. I'll be the first to admit that. But I saw, I, you know, this is something I noted right away when the Giants first hired Shermer. So, and something to be very excited about moving forward with this Giants offense. And did you want to touch on anything more with that, or should we should we get to the last uh, aspect of the show? The other side of it, too, I think that's an interesting thing you bring up with um, with guys playing too deep against Eli. Teams definitely, I've seen it on, I've seen a few examples. Teams like to do that to Eli because he gets you can kind of confuse him a little bit. Cover too deep can rotate into a lot of different coverages. And I don't mean right. to go on a tangent here, but what? No, we love it. 
but what's, but what's interesting is this year with Shermer with so many predefined reads, I think that's going to take a lot of that away because he's going to have a, a pretty clear defined way of, of doing things pre-snap kind of no matter what teams do at the snap. And that's where, you know, it, it, you're simplifying things to your players and allowing them to play by hoping or getting, allowing your players to get into space to make plays. It's different than kind of relying on three and five step drops, quick drops to beat teams to the punch almost, I guess is kind of a good way to summarize what McAdoo was doing. So I, it's interesting. I, I noted on film last year that it, that too deep against Manning, he kind of was always a little uneasy and, you know, I think that this is something where, yeah, this doesn't match up great for Mesh, but like we said, it's like there are other answers here that, you know, are in the progression that, that, that he can find because he's going he's gonna to be in a much different position. Yeah, and Nick, definitely never cut yourself off again because that was my favorite point you made on this whole podcast because that's exactly what you were right about. McAdoo's whole concept of his offense was beat the team to the punch. And in that situation, if defense does a good job of disguising their coverage and making a quick change post-snap, uh, you know, it could lead to an interception from Eli Manning, an errant pass, just because, you know, that's the style of the offense, three and five-step drops, get the ball out quick, five or six sometimes. Well, not not six, it was about five receivers running routes. That was the old McAdoo offense. He very rarely used an extra player in pass production. He, only, he almost always used his running backs on pass routes and almost never, if ever, used max protection. And that's all going to change with Shermer as well. Like you said, more defined reads a different style of offense that really relies less on getting the ball out quick. And like you said, I, I like I what you just said there, beating the defense to the punch, because that's not really a good style for moving an offense. We've seen, you know, even the Packers offense struggle in the Mike McCarthy scheme with this, with a guy like Aaron Rodgers at quarterback, and that should really never happen. So before we close out the show, I just wanted to give a little quick hot take on the Odo Beckham Jr. potential holdout. There's been one anonymous report suggesting – Beckham could hold out in training camp, although Beckham himself said, I will not be holding out. Last offseason, after Beckham skipped voluntary, I repeat, voluntary OTAs, before returning for last season's minicamp, he said, I have no interest in ever holding out. I've seen what play, I've seen it happen with players before, and it has very little to no progress. Um, you don't gain anything by holding out. I'm not the type of player who will hold out. So I'm going to choose to believe Beckham's ex- exact words rather than an anonymous report. I hope you guys do too. I don't see any chance of Beckham holding out. And, you know, you think back to the last time this happened with the Giants, and that was the 2008 season after the 2007 Super Bowl when Plaxico Burris wanted a new deal because <laughs> he was set to make like three, $10 million over the next three years. These are old old school NFL contracts back in 2008. Also, the Giants signed Plax like one of the greatest free agent bargains ever. That was still during a Corsi's run as general manager. Um you know, obviously Jerry Reese wouldn't be able to do it, uh, as we've seen from some of his contracts. But Plax, you know, didn't <laughs> – there was different times. Plax basically rode the bike throughout the entire training camp after skipping minicamp um, and taking the fines. And then the Giants, just before the start of the season, kind of ripped up his deal and gave him a new one. So I wouldn't worry about it. The Giants are a team that, that tend to take care of their players. I think Beckham knows that. I think there's going to be some progress towards a contract that will eventually be signed before the start of the, the regular season. So – I have no issue worrying about a holdout. Nick, do you have any anything to add there? You know, I, uh, yeah, <laughs> a little, but uh, I actually wrote a piece um, and inside the pylon, and my goal, right, you know, this was maybe three or four months ago, my goal was to dig up the film for Giants fans that would kind of say, hey, like, OBJ is a great player, but if he happens to get traded, it's okay because. And I went, right. into, I went into that with that goal, and after watching his tape, it was especially in the fit with Pat Shermer's offense. It was so 
just hands down, like, of course this guy's going to want to be there. And of course, Pat Shermer's going to want him there. It was such kind of like a, it's just a really easy match for a guy like that. And it adds another element that Shermer hasn't had. The business side works itself out longer term. I don't know, but this, from a schematic fit perspective, it's harder to find a better, a better guy, a better receiver, to be honest. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, you know, I, I think that, you know, I think that's, I agree. I really tend to agree. Yep. And that's going to be it today for the show, folks. I do appreciate you tuning in. I know Nick appreciates it as well. We've got another four weeks to go before training camp kicks off, or a little less than four weeks now. The rookies will actually report first on July 22nd. Rookies, quarterbacks, and a select group of veterans. And then on the 25th, everyone shows up. Training camp kicks off for the Giants. So we may or may not do a couple more of these before camp, uh, maybe looking at some different position battles, any news that pops up if the Giants sign anybody. But until then, I do appreciate you guys following in. Uh, I'm going to sign off on that. Nick, do you have any parting words? Uh, no. Um, I kind of alluded earlier in the introduction. Um, I actually was just uh, picked up at CoverOne.net uh, to write exclusively for the Giants, X's and O's. Um, so that'll start basically this week pretty soon. Uh, my first topic is Darian Thompson. So I'll give uh, the full breakdown there and the full film breakdown there, which would be fun, and basically looking to uh, write, up, write as much as I can on the Giants there and and kind of go from there. So still finding my work on there or, the, or on Twitter at TeamManic21, um, where I'm basically trying to spend most of my time focusing on <clears throat> Giant X's and O's. And <clears throat> excuse me, got a little, a little bug in my throat. And, um, yeah, besides that, uh, you know, looking forward to, uh, to coming back and doing this again. Yeah, no doubt, guys. And if you guys do want to see more of my work, you can find me on Twitter at Dan Schneier NFL. It's D-A-N-S-C-H-N-E-I-E-R NFL. Obviously, you can find all my work on giantsand247sports.com. And then, please, guys, if you do love the show, if you do enjoy it, this is episode three, do us a favor. Go on iTunes, subscribe to the show, download all the shows you haven't previously listened to, listen to those, but just at least download them and give us a five-star rating or any kind of rating and review. That will help us move up the algorithm. That'll help more people see the show, and that'll ultimately help grow the podcast. So thanks again for tuning in, guys. And on that note, go Giants.